The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Up, welcome to the Bootleg Football Podcast, episode number four, where the only thing we love more than watching football is what we drink while watching football. I am your host, Brett Coleman, once again, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. A lot going on today, a little bit of a a, a busy, random Monday in the NFL calendar, but it's it's the beginning of the so-called tampering period, so lots of trades, lots of Uh, deals I guess not being signed but being agreed to in principle tons of news today but before we get all that of course first two things we want to talk about number one a EJ how are you and what are you drinking I'm hanging in uh obviously the world is a different place than the last time we podcasted uh we're dealing with dealing with corona and all the effects of that so we've been um physically separating everybody says social distancing trying not to social distance trying to physically distance and uh be i saw social solidarity today i thought that was good lots of people kind of coming together and and doing what they can so i'm all right i'm hanging out and we get to talk about a lot of football today was a welcome distraction we'll talk about that um but what am i drinking i went for the hard stuff because just kind of feels like (laughs) that kind of a day yeah it's been that uh, kind of week (laughs) We were stocking up, uh, not not hoarding, just stocking up, buying some essential stuff. And my wife decided on her own, so shout out to my wife, to uh, buy a bottle of Glenlivet 12 Ooh. and just bring it home and say, hey, here you go. <laughs> In case things get rough, uh, this might take the edge off. So I've got a glass of that. I have not had Glenlivet 12 in, in a while. And I have to say... Um, it's uh, took a couple sips as we were doing prep, and uh, it's better than I remember. Yeah, I mean, you can't really go long, r- go wrong with the Glen Livets or any of the Glens, really. Glen Fittick, Glen Levitt. There's, there's. I mean, I'm a Scotch guy, but um, and normally like Islas are my favorite, but I, I think Glen Levitt is like a nice little change of pace for me when I don't want to be just blasted by smoke. Uh, you yep. know, with my with my normal, you know, Lagavulin's or Lafroigs, but uh, I I do love Glenlivet myself. Um, I'm I don't have a bourbon. I have an American whiskey, which some people might not understand the difference between those. Legally, 
uh, a bourbon can only be called a bourbon if if it is aged in brand new oak barrels, charred oak barrels. Uh, if you reuse those barrels, which Michter's has done for this American whiskey, it has to be called American whiskey. Cannot legally be called bourbon, um, but it's still essentially bourbon. It's the same mash bill. They just use they just reuse barrels and so it has a little bit of a different character to it it's a little bit more mellow um and this is my first time i've ever had it and i really really love it uh I, this is my first american whiskey i've had period um and i definitely want to get more because these are absolutely delicious uh it's so it's just like the michter's bourbon but just kind of mellowed out a little bit more sweeter um just a, a super easy drinker but uh, with that, uh, let's kind of get into all the madness that happened today, because there was there was a lot of it. Um, what's your your kind of early overall reaction to day one of of free agency this year? That's probably my lead from day one of free agency is that uh, you couldn't turn away, and the NFL is king. If anybody wondered about that or had questions about that, um, Look, this is the trading period in the off season, and even if the other sports were going right now, the free agency buzz would have absolutely annihilated them. I was working today, um, taking care of my kids at home, uh, dealing with some craziness that's going on at work, as, as a lot of people are right now, and I, I couldn't leave for 20 minutes and not come back and have not one headline, but three headlines about things that were, you know, rumored to be happening or had already happened or, um, you just can't miss stuff. And it just completely reaffirms that the NFL is the top dog in the United States. Uh, it was a welcome distraction today from much more serious events. And, uh, you know, my, obviously my Twitter timeline is a little bit biased because I'm, I've got it all geared to NFL and the draft it was just flooded with football stuff today, and that was a, a nice change of pace. Yeah, I kind of think you hit the nail on the head. It was just it was a much needed distraction for for the country with everything that's gone on, especially over the last, I guess, seventy two hours is when things kind of really started to to get even more serious, and uh, just kind of having a day where we could all have real sports news to digest and, and kind of remind us why we all love sports so much and why it's such a kind of a unifying force, uh, in this country. Um, it was, it was really, it was really awesome. And again, it was, it was a reminder that the NFL is, is far and away, uh, the biggest and best, uh, professional sports league in America. And, and um, it was, it was just kind of nice to kind of have that back if only for a, a little 24 hour period. So I, it was, it was awesome. But in terms of the actual individual deals, let's start with just some of the trades <laughs> beyond, beyond the, cause I'm a Texans fan. You guys know I'm a let's, Texans let's, fan. Let's move right to the let's, open wounds. Let's rip the bandaid we? off because. We decided, <sighs> yeah, we decided for the top of the podcast that we would take the things that were most emotionally scarring for the day for Brett and I and, and just lead with those. Um, you longtime listeners know that you're a Texans fan. Uh, some of the newer listeners are, are realizing pretty quickly that I'm, I'm a Bears guy, have been uh, for quite some time. And both, both the Texans and Bears did something today. Uh, both of them, uh, the Texans led right off early and I, um, I texted you immediately and it was all, almost a welfare text. It was a <laughs> Brett, are you okay? Are you near anything sharp? Please don't. Um, I like spoiler alert. I was that. not okay. I was not okay yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah. And the narrator said he was not okay. 
Yeah. Uh, no, I checked on Brett immediately when I heard the news. Uh, and the news, of course, was? I mean, DeAndre Hopkins and a fourth-round pick, and you only get David Johnson and a second. Which, David Johnson, and we're not talking about, like, 2016 or 2017 David Johnson. We're talking about David Johnson now, who hasn't been healthy in two years, got outplayed by Kenyon Drake, and a second-round pick that may or may not be a good wide receiver prospect if maybe the first four or five go off the board before then. And you're giving up a Hall of Fame player. Because uh, I think we can all agree that DeAndre Hopkins is on a first ballot Hall of Fame trajectory. In his prime, he's only 27 years old, and you take on the entire remaining contract of the corpse of David Johnson and get a second round pick and you pay a fourth round pick for the honor of getting fleeced. This is the worst trade I have seen in a very, very long time. It's almost like it's really good to have a professional general manager running your team. I mean, just looking from the outside in on this one, Bill O'Brien so far um is not uh he's a great force for the rest of the nfl uh getting good players and and tons of draft picks last year it was draft picks this year it's players and you know i'm i'm sad for texans fans like you because you're not going to get any argument out of me i have been banging the drum for hopkins as one of the more underappreciated assets in the entire league so you're not going to get any argument out of me there and for him you know, I'm sure it's heartbreaking. He's put everything he's had in the Texans franchise, by all accounts, a tremendous leader in their locker room, a huge part. The Texans players were devastated today on social media, shell-shocked, whatever you want to say. But I think in the coming days, as that fades a little bit, DeAndre Hopkins is going to get really excited about the fact that he gets to go to work with Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, uh, Larry Fitzgerald. Like That's going to be a very... Uh, intriguing offense. Uh, Kenyon Drake, I think, is dynamic in that system. He's going to have some fun there, and he doesn't have to be the guy, uh, as he so often was or almost always was for the Texans. I think he's going to start to get excited after the pain fades, but there's definitely definitely going to be some pain with this move. I'll say this. Uh, if, as a Texans fan, it is terrible for the Texans but it's good for DeAndre Hopkins and it's good for the Cardinals. It's great for the Cardinals. So there's two out of three winners here. Uh, but unfortunately the big loser is Houston, but it's, it's a great move for the career of DeAndre Hopkins. I think he's going to a better run franchise uh, franchise that to, truth be told is probably more. <laughs> I think I think their arrow is pointing up more sharply than Houston's was. Um, I think it's a better Isn't that run team. A crazy thought, right? It <sighs> just doesn't seem that long ago that the cards were the place that old players went to die in the desert. Right. I mean, they, it, they've, they've got it together. I mean, even and, you saw last year, even in the games they lost, like they never yeah. got blown out. They were a competitive team. I, I want to bet. We did a, a preseason betting special with the guy that covers betting for Windy City Gridiron, Sam Householder. And Sam came on with JB and I on Bears Over Beers. And we did a, we had to pick, uh, boy, what was it? I think three division winners, three overs, three unders, and then a Super Bowl champ. So we had to, we had to make 10 picks a piece. Um, 
And I actually picked uh, the the Cardinals to be an over and and won the bet because they they were competitive, right? They were going to put up points and they're going to squeak a few out. And this year, it's it's not going to be squeak a few out. It's going to be blow a few out. Yeah, they don't call him Cover Kyler for no reason. Yeah, yeah, that's he's. He had a bunch of weapons. Um, you know, you think about Larry Fitzgerald, um, Christian Kirk, like Hakeem Butler is going to be coming back healthy. Now they've got Nuke and Kenyon Drake in there as a as a dynamic sort of two way back. Um, Kyler in his second year in the system, Cliff in his sort of second year calling plays and understanding what works and what doesn't. It's that's going to be a very dangerous offense. That is not an easy out. When you look at their RPO game. You know, with with Drake and his ability to oh, they're run slash games. and dash. Kyler's ability to sneak out the back door. Um, I mean, Hopkins a is a dominant slant runner, uh, especially against press. Like if he's the number one option on those RPOs, uh, RPOs with like the backside slants. Um, and of course, Larry. You know, Butler's got size on the outside. Isabella, I don't think is a a good receiver, but I mean, four two is four two. Take the top off. Take sure. the top. Just occupy the safety. That's all they need. Yep. Uh, like that's that offense. Just provided they use the eighth overall pick on a tackle, which I, I think they true. I mean, they had to before, but they really have to now because they already fixed receiver. If they get yeah. a tackle, like God forbid, for the rest of the NFC West, God forbid, Jedrick Wills was there, and you got mm-hmm. Jedrick Wills at tackle that can actually protect. And now you don't have to keep in six or seven. You can go five wide all the time you can actually operate and empty without getting murray killed that offense is going to be vicious absolutely yeah, wills vicious. is really interesting it's 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 i guess fortuitous that you bring up wills because he's used to protecting tua right and kyler and tua have some similarities they're not the same guy but in terms of their movement in the pocket um their size, what they look for, uh, the RPO game, they have some similarities. Wills is going to have some familiarity with working with a quarterback like that. It's not like he's going to some place that, well, I mean, he might end up going to some place that has a statuesque passer that doesn't move very much, but he's he's not had that for his last couple of years at Alabama. He's had Tua behind him, and and Kyler and Tua are, well, uh, they're they're closer than you might think and that's the other thing about that offense is even if you do get all those options covered then murray's going to be free and he will gladly take the free eight to 15 yards you're going to give him as a runner without um, taking a big hit too nope nope there's not going to be anybody there to greet him so he's going to be able to slide and and boy if you really break coverage he's got enough speed to just run the crack and go right up the middle for for 30 so yeah there's just not I feel for defensive coordinators who are going to play Arizona this year. Their their scheme is good. Their run scheme is fascinating. It's really cool to watch. I wish Matt Nagy would watch some Cliff Kingsbury run fit tape. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's just going to be a, a loaded, loaded offense. So for as much as you're paying, uh, as you feel as a Texans fan, I'm sure Arizona fans are excited or they should be. And um, like you said, two winners and they just happen to be on the Arizona side. Uh, not on the Houston side. Speaking of a fan base feeling good, how good do Vikings fans feel for getting a first, a fifth, a sixth, and a 2021 fourth for Stephon Diggs, who wasn't even happy there in the first place? 
Yeah, this is late breaking news. We, uh, you hadn't heard about this before you came on, and and I said, uh, you stepped away for dinner and you missed one, just like we talked about at the top of the podcast. Uh, yeah, Stephon Diggs, if you haven't heard, uh, heads to the Bills. Uh, the Bills obviously were looking for a number one wide receiver. Most mock drafts at this point had them penciling one in out of this very loaded class. Instead, they make what I'll call a blockbuster trade. Uh, the the interesting thing about this is Diggs, tremendous receiver, great route runner. Uh, they pay, I don't want to say a fortune, but they pay a first, a fifth and a sixth this year and a fourth next year. Um, that's it's not a ton. It's not two number ones. It's not a one and a two. Uh, but the the sneaky part of this deal is Diggs's, Diggs's monetary compensation is what, Brett? It's what, like $11 million a year, maybe? Yep. Yep, Amari Cooper just resigned right before we started recording for, or it looks like he's going to resign for about twenty million per uh, as a number one in Dallas, and here comes Stephon Diggs at like eleven or twelve million, and which I have he, to assume they're going to try to renegotiate in a couple years. But still, if you're getting him for at least two years on eleven million a year, yeah, I mean, whew, that's, that's a the, hell of a that's deal. That's the sneaky part of this deal is they gave up draft capital for sure, but they get one of the best route runners in the NFL. My only question about this deal is Diggs' unhappiness stemmed from playing with Kirk Cousins. Largely, that was the reason that he gave. Um, if he was unhappy with Kirk Cousins, he's going to have uh, a bit of a rude awakening with Josh Allen. Josh Allen is a much improved quarterback who's getting better, but uh, he is not accurate and uh, he will throw deep, which is amazing for a fast receiver like Diggs. but sometimes he's going to throw way too deep and he's going to throw it five yards over Diggs' head. And we'll see how that plays uh, in game six, game eight, game 10 uh, when Diggs gets wildly overthrown by Josh Allen. So be interesting to follow that. But in terms of what Buffalo did um, to fill a need, uh, you know, in terms of the what they paid out and and the value they get monetarily against the cap, uh, it's pretty good deal for Buffalo. My 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 thing, I, how I interpret Diggs's frustration wasn't necessarily frustration with Kirk. I think it was frustration that he wasn't the clear number one. Mm. You know, I think he yeah, I had. I think he had a. Wait, wait, wait! A wide receiver is frustrated that they're not the first option on offense. Yeah, I know, right? It's it's a it's super <laughs> cliche, but I never got the sense that he was totally okay with potentially being a one A one B situation with Thielen. Yep. I think he wanted to be a one and B or one A and two situation, yeah. uh, which you know John Brown is. Let's be realistic; he's not a number one; he's a number two. Uh, he's damn good number two. But he, nobody in their right mind should consider him a, a quality number one, which is what he was running as Buff as Buffalo's number one last year, and they were okay, but not good. Um, I I think I'm a little bit higher on Josh Allen than you are. Maybe uh, obviously he's got inconsistency with accuracy, um, particularly with kind of winging things high. But I think as a decision maker, he's vastly improved. I think his pocket presence has improved. Um, I think when they just kind of leave him in the one-step game and just get it out quick, 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 uh, and they really use the RPO game and they get Singletary rolling with 20 carries, like that offense is good. I think 
using Diggs really more as like a deep threat off play action with, you know, those double moves that he's become famous for where he just absolutely toasts people if you, if you leave him on an island. Um, I think that is really where he's going to be a difference maker is John Brown's fast enough that he's going to be occupying a safety, which means potentially you're getting Diggs one-on-one. And if Allen can just hang in the pocket long enough uh, and just, he doesn't even have to be accurate. He just has to throw it far enough that Diggs can run under it. He, th- this can be a very, very good vertical passing game, specifically off of play action. I don't think this is going to be like a, a a vertical passing game where you're lining up, you know, in a in a three by one and with a six man protection. And you, you have all these progressions. You're moving across the field. Like it's not like a Kansas City kind of vertical passing game. It's it's really like a yeah. an old school like West Coast uh, deep shot where you know we're we're literally working the bootlegs we're working you know iso runs and then you hit with the deep bomb i'll play like that's what the offense is going to be but i think yeah. Diggs fits that yeah i think it's more air Coriel kind of like you said a west coast deep shot passing game and uh, just to be clear uh josh allen has outperformed my expectations i'm not low on josh allen he took that team and uh, I would say exceeded expectations. Uh, he developed absolutely in all the ways that you said he did. He's developed farther, faster than I thought he would. Um, I was not super high on Josh Allen coming out. Obviously all the physical tools were amazing, but there was just so much to try and harness and unify there. I thought it was going to take some time. I think the Buffalo staff's done an amazing job and, and Josh himself has done an amazing job again, coming along and coming together more rapidly than I thought he would or could. So I'm not low on Allen, but um, he's also, you know, I think he's got, I still think he's got room to improve and he's already pretty good. He was challenging for the division last year. You give him some more tools and yeah, look out. It's going to be a very interesting offense. So I'm not low on Allen, but I'm interested to see how Diggs's perception of Allen lands, just to be clear. My one thing is I think you and I are in agreement that Diggs is a good receiver, but he's not He's not quite the receiver that we think Allen needs because, again, when he misses, he misses high. And we were both thinking, okay, like, big, big, you know, T. Higgins, Denzel Mims, like somebody with a catch radius. Because while while Diggs has good hands, you know, his catch radius isn't super large. And I think you you need somebody that can kind of uh, give Allen a little bit more of a margin for error. Uh, in the mold of, say, I don't know, DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> I'm not going to say it because Brett's going to stab me through the heart with a fork. But, but that, uh, if you're no, going to give you're up talking that about whole, is Hopkins. Yeah. No. If you're giving up that many picks, like that's that's who. If, if you're giving up four picks and one of them being a first rounder, it should be for DeAndre Hopkins because he's the kind of receiver that Allen needs. Again, not that Allen's a bad quarterback, but you need you need no. catch radius to kind of help him yeah. along uh and, and honestly if you flip these two if it was freaky friday instead of freaky monday and Diggs went to the cardinals oh Diggs with fits a, with the cardinals fourth, like a glove right but if Diggs <laughs> goes to the cardinals with a fourth and you know uh minnesota gets johnson and and the second or whatever and you just swap the compensation and hopkins ends up going to the bills a the Bills are in a better spot, I think, again, because of the fit of the wide receiver uh, with their quarterback strengths. And the compensation actually looks, I would say, kind of reasonable for Hopkins. Like, uh, I would, would think be, that was It would fine. be more fair. 
more yeah. fair. It, and, and I think a better fit actually for both teams, right? Not that Hopkins is going to be bad. Hopkins isn't going to be bad anywhere he goes. He's just not going to be bad. He's an excellent, excellent receiver. And neither is Diggs. But in terms of fine-tuning the fit, I think you put you know the hammer right on the nail that Hopkins would be a better fit in Buffalo and Diggs a better fit in, in the desert. So just kind of interesting that they both move on the same day for different compensation that seems a little bit lopsided in the favor of one team versus the other. But um, wouldn't it be interesting if that was swapped? So just one of those weird things that happens. What did you, and I know this is going to hurt to talk about because you're a Bears fan. Yeah, and see, this is turnabout being fair play. You get to take the knife and stab it right back into me. So what um, was what were the first words out of your mouth when you saw Jimmy Graham got $16 million? Uh, well, um, there's two things there. One that he got 16 million. That would have just, um, that would have been straight laughter. Uh, and then you tell me who paid him and (laughs) it's straight tears. Um, I, I did put an explicit rating when I set up the podcast on Google podcast. So I could say the word I said, I'm going to choose not to, um, (laughs) But what I texted my colleagues at Windy City Gridiron was not uh, appropriate for, say, my kids. Um, yeah, I completely displeased. It was so far Graham to the Bears as an option. Obviously, the Bears need something at tight end. They need to draft one. They need to trade for one. There was big talk about Hooper. Um, look, Austin Hooper, the, the price went up, and I, am, I have no fault to Ryan Pace for saying, hey, that's too rich for my blood. I don't want to do it. But to pay basically uh, a million less and get, you talked about the corpse of David Johnson. Let's talk about the zombified corpse of Grant, uh, Jimmy Graham. He is not the player he was. I watched him in Seattle when he was here. Uh, he was already falling off and sort of not contributing in the same way. He goes to Green Bay. Again, you can argue about usage in Green Bay, but he was a he was a shell of his former self. He is not a dynamic red zone threat playmaking tight end anymore, nor has he been for quite some time. The idea that you take a 33-year-old guy at that position who is clearly falling off and pay him a million or two less than the top tight end in the market um, – it's just not anything we even considered. Like we've talked, I've talked on a lot of podcasts and been asked, Oh, what are the bears going to do with tight end? I have never once brought up Jimmy Graham as a even, Oh, and maybe it happens kind of option. Not once, just never even crossed my mind. So when I saw the news today, double take, made sure it wasn't a fake account, looked again, swore loudly, texted a bunch of people. I knew, um, just felt completely gut shot. It's, um, so surprising because the bears don't have a ton of money in the first place yes they need a tight end but i think they would have been better served to uh leverage some of the younger tight ends on their roster and and draft one even in the later rounds i think there's some sort of sneaky depth at tight end this year in the draft to to shell out a ton of money to a guy whose production clearly is in the past uh well, let me, let me ask you this completely question. deflating yeah. Let, me, let me ask you this question, since since clearly they brought him in because they thought he could deliver in the red zone. What yeah. would you rather have, Jimmy Graham at $8 million a year or Colby Parkinson, who's 6'7 and runs don't in 4'5s for Don't you start with me, for Brett For like 400000 I You know the answer to that. We watched film on Coleman to get, or on Coleman. 
Uh, Brett and I watched film on Colby Parkinson, the Stanford tight end who's in this draft together. And um, he's wildly underrated. He's very tall. He's 6'7". Um, he runs very well. His releases are pretty good. His routes are not great, but his releases are very good. He's a tremendous red zone target. He's going to be available in the fourth, possibly the fifth, maybe even the sixth. Um, one of the reasons he didn't have a ton of production this year is because his quarterback at Stanford was atrocious. It was rough. Um, Just anything over about 10, 11 yards, he misses badly, like broadside of a barn badly. So Parkinson ran a lot of good routes and was wide open for, I mean, he left so many yards on the field. I would love to have a guy like Colby Parkinson. And there are other guys in the draft as well. Um, You know, honestly, here's one for you, because here's another guy we watched and then who surprised at the combine. Albert O. I mean, right. Out of Missouri, if, if right? we're He's talking not a complete about tight end. No, but if we're talking about one-dimensional guys with athletic upside that cost a fraction of of this. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? And Alberto is probably when everybody really digs down and looks into his film, which scouts have done, they're gonna say, Hey, this is a third round player. This is a fourth round player. Like he ran really fast, but he's not a developed tight end, but he's a damn good red zone threat because he's six six and can jump. Right. He's a big guy. He's 255. Like, would you rather have Albert O or would you rather have, again, the corpse of Jimmy Graham for eight million a year? It's just to me, it's it's a really confidence shaking move in the Bears decision making leadership because it just doesn't look like there's any potential upside. And they shelled out a lot of cash to do it. And I I'm just left shaking my head. It's it screams panic to me. It really yep. does. Desperation. Um, it's hundred percent desperation. And to me, spending eight million on Jimmy Graham. I know in the grand scheme of things, the cap's going up. It might not look that bad in a couple of years, but that's also eight million a year less that you don't have available to give to. I don't know. Insert free agent quarterback here, whether it's mm-hmm. Teddy or Dalton or trading for whatever. You know, it's it's eight million less that you have to put on the table to potentially get a quarterback that is an upgrade for Mitch Trubisky, which is really their biggest problem. Um, and if they miss out on one of those quarterbacks because they they spent that extra money on Jimmy, that they could have just drafted somebody to to accomplish the exact same role, probably better. I just I I it screams panic to me, and when you panic, you make really bad decisions with your cap. Yeah, you want another one that nobody's talking about that I would like much, much, much rather have for every reason? Like rookie tight ends? Nope. In the league, free agent. Uh, who? Logan Thomas. He's a free agent? Oh. Yep. Six, I mean, 6'6, six, 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 248. Uh, if he'd come out as a tight end instead of a quarterback the year he came out, which is what I advocated for, and everybody said, no, no, he's a quarterback. I said, no, no, he isn't. Um, and the other thing is he was recruited uh, to Virginia Tech to play tight end, so it's not like he had no experience. He was a tight end coming out of high school. Um, he ran four six one. That would have been second this year. His vert was thirty five five. That would have been tied for fourth this year. Plus he's six six and has that wingspan. His three cone was seven oh five. That would have been third this year. And his twenty yard shuttle was four point one eight. That would have been first this year. And Logan Thomas is going to sign for pennies. Yeah, nothing, right? He's going to sign for like 
three million a year, three and a half. Like maybe? as long as we're just taking flyers, you know. And remember, Logan Thomas, I think he had like eleven inch hands too. Like his hands He's were huge, just gigantic. He's massive, and he runs like a deer, man. Four six one for a guy that's two fifty and six six. You know, that's I'd, fast. And he hasn't. Let's be clear. He hasn't done anything in his four years in the league or whatever it is. But, but Jimmy Jimmy hasn't really done much lately either, and you're giving him eight million. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would much rather give a guy three three and a half million for again two years. Take a flyer. See if you catch lightning in a bottle, right? If you don't, you still have the extra six to eight million dollars to mess with, right? It, yeah. It's just, it's crazy. So, and then if you just wanted a good all arounder, just again to plug a guy in to say, look, we have somebody serviceable who can play the position, Clive Walford's available this year. Yeah. And Clive Walford, his first two years in LA, or, well, uh, uh, sorry, Oakland, now Las Vegas. Sorry, too many. Too many team geographic changes. His first two years as a Raider, they threw at him a lot. They threw him like 55 balls. He caught like 39 of them, had something like 500 yards and a bunch of touchdowns. Uh, you know, his his production dropped off. But guess what? He went to Miami. Miami's been a wreck lately. Like, grab Clive Walford for whatever you can get him for. Three million. I don't care. Four. It's half of what you're giving Graham, right? So there's options out there, and I just I can't find any good reason to say, oh yeah, Jimmy Graham's gonna do this for the Bears. I don't know. I don't get it. I probably will never will get it. Nope. Um, I think one of the only teams that that spent a lot of money today and maybe spent more on contracts than we expected them to, but at least did it in a smart way would be the Dolphins. Um, yeah, you, you and I were kind of talking like, okay, if you're going to overpay people, at least overpay these guys, you know, yeah, with Byron, Byron Jones, right? You know, Top Byron Jones market. getting 16.5. Like I, again, he costs twice as much as Jimmy Graham, but at least you're getting a player that's more than twice as good. <laughs> you yeah. know, so like if you're going to yeah, overpay absolutely. Byron Jones is a guy I'd love to overpay Kyle Van Noy getting 12, seven I'm totally fine with that. He already knows the system. He's a do-it-all linebacker, which we know Flores prioritizes versatility. So again, if you're overpaying him that, that it's it's not even really an overpay to me. Like that's that's fine. That's just I qualify that under, you know, quote unquote getting your guy. Shaq Lawson at ten isn't awful. I, you know, when you compare him to the guys that are getting twenty, like if you look at Shaq Lawson, is half as good as top tier edge rushers, and he's getting half the money. That's kind of in line with what you would expect. So again, ten million might be jarring compared to what people were getting a couple years ago, but these days, ten's not bad. No, um, not for a guy that you know first round pedigree. Now I'm not a Shaq Lawson fan, but uh, as long as the shoulder holds together, and again, this to me, the the Lawson move in particular screams, we believe in our defensive line coaches, right? Yes. We yes. believe that we can get more out of this guy than than Buffalo got out of him, um, as long as he stays healthy. And again, ten million sounds like a ton of money. It's not in the current cap. And if if Shaq Lawson comes in and gets six, seven sacks situationally, totally worth it. That's worth ten like, million. I know that. Yeah, I know it seems like a crazy value proposition, but if he gets that, I don't think that he will. Again, I'm not a huge believer in Shaq Lawson. But it's not a wild overpay. Like if you ask me which deal was, you know, worse or more bent, the deal for Lawson in Miami or the deal for Graham in Chicago. Look, it's Graham in Chicago just based on evidence, right? At least Lawson's younger, has some upside and and might contribute. Like if Jimmy Graham contributes, I'm going to be 
quite frankly, shocked. So if he gets seven sacks as a rotational player, that's what, like a yep. million and a half a sack? Well, guess what? If, you, if you're paying a guy $20 million a year and he gets 13 or 14 sacks, that's about a million and a half a sack. So yeah. people would be totally fine with Khalil Mack getting 13 or 14 sacks at $20 million a year. That would be considered a good year. And it's the same dollar amount per sack. So again, I think as long as when you pay an edge rusher, if whatever you pay them, as long as they're coming out to about a million and a half a sack, it's worth it. Yeah, that's a crazy thing to say, but it's it's absolutely true in today's NFL. And and I just think the average fan um, really, A, one, overvalues sacks, and two, thinks that 10 is the floor, right? If they don't get 10, they're worthless. And I'm like, do you know how many guys actually got 10 plus? So, you know, everybody's like 10, 10, 10. And I'm like, it's like when rookies come out and they're like, oh, he's a 10-year starter. And I'm like, do you know how many 10-year starters there are in the league? Like actual straight-up 10-year starters? It's incredibly rare. Especially Um, in the trenches. Yeah, I'm like, I would say five-year starter would be great. First contract starter. Eight-year starter would be excellent. 10-year starter is like you're starting to talk about, hey, is this a Hall of Fame guy? Um, because it just doesn't happen in today's NFL, and neither do sacks with the quick passing game, with RPO, um, with the spread offenses, balls coming out more quickly. You don't get those five, seven-step drops where you're going to go back and get 25 sacks. I mean, Shaq Barrett getting 19 sacks in that environment is amazing. I mean, and he did he did get, get to play against some pretty bad tackles, but hey, still 19 I is fully, 19. <laughs> I've, yeah, 19 in today's NFL is amazing because so many guys don't even get 10, right? You're looking at all these guys and, hey, they got seven, they got eight, they got six, they got nine. Okay, fine. Single digits is still pretty productive because it's not really about sack again. The average fan overvalues sacks and you really have to look at pressures, right? Hurries, hits, tip balls, um, any kind of disruption to the offensive flow, whether or not they got the quarterback on the ground. And that's the other thing with the rules the way they are. Tackles are, you know, uh, defensive ends and edges are pulling up, right? They're doing two-hand touch and pushing those guys. So the old, like, go two more steps and play through, you can't do that anymore. That's a penalty. It's 15 yards on your team automatically. So in the environment we're in, if you pull seven to nine sacks, you're a valued pass rusher if you contribute a bunch of uh, hits, hurries, rushes, and tip balls. Yeah, I really, I just look at it as do you make the quarterback uncomfortable or not? Yep. And and it's it's – you know, it's the Khalil Mack argument where it's there's some years where Khalil Mack is going to end up with low to mid single digits and sacks, but he still makes quarterbacks really uncomfortable on third down. So mm-hmm. he earns his money. Now, not yep. saying Shaq Lawson's going to be that guy, but, no, but again, for 10 million, yep. I'll take it's, that all it's day. A worth, it's a worthy gamble. Really, I think the biggest thing is does his shoulder stay together like he had problems with the shoulder at clemson he wore a harness there were i always had questions about that i was like that does not make a first rounder for me a guy that uses his shoulder a lot who has shoulder problems had a had a problem with the shoulder in buffalo like if the shoulder stays together he stays healthy and i hope he does like i really hope he does i don't root for anybody to fail and if flores's coaches get together with him and say hey this is what we need you to do and how you need to do it and he takes to it and he ends up with that kind of relation it's a steal right it's an absolute steal so it's a it's a low risk i know 10 million sounds like not low risk but it's a low risk high reward gamble in today's nfl yeah 
And and I would say the same thing with, with Kyle Van Noy. Again, it's ignore the sack numbers and pay attention to the pressures, pay attention to the coverage, pay attention to the leadership, um, pay attention to his ability to get people lined up, you know, to, to recognize what he's seeing and, and make calls. Um, he was an instrumental part of that Patriots defense. I, I know that uh, Brian Flores loved him again, because of everything that he did, not just on the field, but off the field to get that defense ready every single week. 12-7-50, bargain, absolute bargain to me. Um, it sounds like an overpay, but it's really not. Uh, Byron Jones, that corner duo is the most expensive corner duo in the league, but again, Flores... <laughs> it's also damn good. <laughs> it's also damn good, and Flores comes from New England where they prioritize secondary over everything, you know, we've we've heard the uh, the analysts over at Pro Football Focus talk about uh, having coverage being more valuable than pressure because coverage can quote unquote create pressure by forcing the quarterback to hold the ball beyond that that golden two and a half second window. New England subscribes to that theory clearly, and it's worked clearly uh, because at the end of the day, even if you don't have one great pass rusher, if you can make the quarterback hold the ball, even average guys can get home eventually, or at, very, at the very least, like force a holding call. So that's kind of the philosophy they're going with is versatility in the front seven, really good lockdown man-to-man corners in the back four. Um, I'm really intrigued to see how it works next year because we've seen that formula work with other teams. And I think it could very well work here. Yeah, they're setting it up for that for sure, and um, they didn't hold the horses today. I mean, they they spent money uh, fast and furious. Um, they signed four guys for oh man, let's see, Van Noy is twelve seven fifty, uh, Lawson ten million per, Eric Flowers ten million per, Byron Jones sixteen and a half million per. Um, that's, you know, they, they threw cash at it today. They needed to. They had one of the highest caps in the league. They have also one of the most um, open rosters, if you want to call it that. Depleted is a good word. <laughs> yeah, more, more needs than, than many teams. So, But they it's kind of what you expect when those two things come together, right? You have a bunch of needs. You have a bunch of money. You're going to see you're gonna see players that they like fly off the board on the first couple days. And, you know, again, guys that uh, teams that win free agency don't typically win the year, but are the Dolphins going to be a much improved team this year? Um, I think after the draft, we're going to see that they probably are because, again, they're holding extra picks. Um, they're going to get a quarterback. I I fully believe that this signals they're not tanking for Trevor, right? They are going to get their quarterback this year. They're going to move up to do it if they have to. Uh, they have the draft capital. They invested too much to say to their players, oh, we're just going to coast on on Fitzpatrick again this year. Um, they're, they're going for a rookie, whether that's Tua or whether they've got somebody like Herbert in mind, whatever. They're going to go get their guy, and I think that's the move you can expect after today. I think, again, that key question is Herbert or Tua, and we're going to have plenty of time to talk about that and lead up to the draft because they're very, very, very different quarterbacks. We'll probably dedicate an episode just to that question, to be honest, and probably throw love in there too. Uh, Cause we know Burrow's going to be the first one, but the, it's the other three that are really the intriguing conversation. Um, but I will say now that I mentioned love, there was a team taken, I guess you can consider out of consideration 
for those quarterbacks this week. And Indianapolis was one of the teams that was pegged for love. They were pegged for potential trade up for Herbert. If Tua slipped because of medical, for whatever reason, they were pegged for uh, a potential trade up destination for him. And now they trade that pick, the 13th overall pick that everybody was expecting to be a long-term answer at quarterback. And instead they get DeForest Buckner and then pay him 21 million a year, which for the record, I am totally fine with. Buckner's amazing. Totally fine with that deal. Totally fine. We finally get to talk about somebody that we both really like and are totally on board with. Oh, yeah. I mean, Buckner, he's one of the highest grades for a five tech I've ever given coming out of Oregon. He was an absolute monster and he continued to be a monster in San Francisco. Uh, 21 million is 100% worth it. And the compensation that that the Niners got for him was a hundred percent worth it, especially when they, they paid Armstead. They couldn't afford both of them. They had to choose. They took the, the cheaper deal with Armstead and then shipped out Buckner. I understand all sides of the deal. What I'm curious about from the Colts perspective is they pretty much just resigned themselves to the fact they're not getting a quarterback in the first round. Does that mean that we're getting Phillip Rivers in Indy? I would be stunned if we didn't. Uh, Rivers to Indy was the one place I think that he really has a shot to be effective at this stage of his career for multiple reasons. One, he's playing inside. Two, he's got a coach who's a former quarterback who understands quarterbacks, who loves his work. He's got a good offensive line in front of him, which is huge for Rivers at this point in his career. It's the one place where all the sort of arrows align, and I think Philip Rivers could have an impact this season. Beyond this season, I don't know. We'll see. But I would be really stunned if they don't make a play for Philip Rivers. Um, if they don't, the other option is the quarterback that a lot of people had them uh, sinking their teeth into was either Herbert or Love, but I saw Love more. And as you know, I do a lot of mock drafts. I do pretty much like a mock draft a day just to see how the boards fall, use different boards, use different simulators, just kind of get a feel for where players go, where the plateaus are, where the talent drops, um, what kind of runs occur, all that stuff. And recently, I will say, since the combine, since the boards have been updated since the combine, I see love in the second round a lot more often than I used to. And if he makes it even to the very top of the second round, I could see Indianapolis packaging some picks and going to get him. I mean, that would that would be kind of the perfect scenario. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be kind of the perfect scenario because then they, they get a stud defensive tackle, which they need, um, or somebody who can really play anything from, from, from the one to the five in Buckner. He's basically just young Calais Campbell to me. That's, yeah, let's just I, say <laughs> stud defensive lineman because he can do it all. Yeah, so they get him, and then if Love falls, which again I don't think will happen, but theoretically it could, or maybe they really like Jalen Hurts. Whatever, you know, if you get a quarterback yeah. in the second round, and let's say you have Rivers, because clearly Brady's not going to go to Indy. That's not a nope. realistic option. Um, I don't know if if Dalton wants to go to Indy because he knows that he would be replaced after a year. I think he wants something with maybe a little bit more long-term potential. Cough, cough, Chicago. Um, Teddy, same thing. I, I think everybody knows that Indy's like a one-year stop. Um, yep. So if, if they get a quarterback in the second round that they really like, 
and they get Buckner, that's a hell of a job by them. And again, the other side of the trade, I think, is fair compensation, too. This is a very evenly uh, balanced trade where both the Niners and the Colts could come out huge winners. Yeah, we haven't talked about that, but that's fascinating. What if they got Teddy? I mean, it he, he fits what they do. Yeah, he fits. And, like, if they said, hey, you're just going to be our guy, like, you're going to take over for Brissett, and Brissett's going to back you up till he goes, and then we'll get you another backup, you're going to be the guy. You get to play behind, again, all the things we said about Rivers, right, behind a strong offensive line in a dome with some good playmakers, um, you know, with They run Marlon the ball. Mack. Yeah, I like – boy, if they said, we're going to give you, you know, whatever he's looking for, we just haven't talked about him there as a landing spot. And how's their money? I haven't checked their cap space. Uh, let me look right now. But I, I will say um, I would much rather have Teddy than Phillip Rivers. Oh, 100% at this point. If you're looking for the future and not just a, a seriously set up one-year run, like almost like a Peyton Manning type run in Denver where you're just, this is it, one and done. Um, they have 45 yeah. million. I, they could do it. He wants like, he's going to get, I think he's going to end up with 22, maybe 25. But I really think if you offered him three years, 22 million, maybe the first year guaranteed couple of incentives, if he plays really well, like as Teddy, why would you not go there? You're going to get good protection. You got decent weapons. You got a, a coach, a head coach, who's a former quarterback. Um, yeah, I, I hadn't put those two together. I really hadn't seen Bridgewater as a Colt, but man, if they decide that they're out of drafting one and they want to go get one, like they could be players for him. Um, that would be really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it would, it would fill their two biggest needs on day one of, of free agency. And then yeah. they, they can go into the draft with that second round pick and, and really be not tethered to anything. They could just, just take BPA. Um, God forbid Denzel Mims falls to Indy because that's the last thing I need as a Texans fan is to lose DeAndre Hopkins and Denzel Mims in the same offseason. But I kind of feel like that's going to happen. Uh, it could. Well, <laughs> just just on that note, how's the uh, how's that Mitchell treating you? <laughs> not I'm not well enough to cope with all this. Not gonna lie. I, need, <laughs> I think I, I think I might need some of the barrel proof stuff. I, I made yeah. a mistake in not in not breaking out the barrel proof or. Or the cask strength. Uh, That's all right. There's always the after show for that. So (sighs) it's going to be a long night. Um, Speaking of defensive linemen getting money, I we're we're still trying to figure out exactly what this means for the rest of the roster. Where does Brockers fit in with Baltimore with Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams, and I think. Pierce is still there too, if I recall correct. I mean, they have a million defensive linemen now that can play interior all, you know, pretty again, like, like Buckner, anything from one to five. I don't know where they all fit together. (laughs) I, well, beautifully, uh, as is always the case with the Ravens and their front, their front seven typically, um, but look, they know they're going to lose Matthew Judon. They're not going to pay him. Uh, you know, the huge money that he's going to earn after his breakout year and, and should go get, you know, all all credit to Matthew Judon. I mean, he got yeah. tagged, so he's going to be there for a year, but that's... that's Maybe it. not. <laughs> you know, if somebody really wants an edge, it's a tag and trade. It's just like Yannick, right? Yeah, I mean... So, but they know they need some pressure. And again, I had just tweeted out about the Ravens today because the other thing the Ravens did today was trade 
Hayden Hurst and get a second back for it. That was thievery. Right. So Absolute I'm like thievery. And I tweet out maybe five minutes before the Brocker deal happens. One of these days I'm going to figure out how the Ravens do it. And I put like hashtag black magic because they always do this, right? They always turn it just the right way. They always draft the guy in the fourth or fifth round that's sitting there and you're like, of course the Ravens got him. In fact, this is one of the first things we talked about when we met each other at the senior bowl was these guys, we were talking about Carl Davis at the time, but these guys that are at the bottom, they're in the third, they're in the fourth and the Ravens come along and they're like, yep, I'll take that. And you're like, of course the Ravens got him when he was sitting there. And the same thing with Calais Campbell, right? They put out a fifth for Calais Campbell. They turn around and trade their third string tight end for a second rounder. And then they sign Brockers like within two days. And you're like, okay, now you have Calais Campbell and Michael Brockers on the same defensive line. If your defensive line was complete garbage, it's now great. And that's and the with Ravens Brandon line, Williams, too. Yeah, and the line <laughs> wasn't complete garbage to start with. They had Brandon Williams, who is a highly capable and underrated player. Now you've got, for the most part, you've got Williams and Brockers and Calais Campbell. Like, I don't really care who's coming off the edge. It would be nice to have a high-value high edge threat like Judon. And if they tag him and keep him, that's amazing. That's That's a crazy lineup for other offenses to deal with. But you just look at what the Ravens do year after year, time after time, cycle after cycle. They're also one of the uh, all-time leaders in the last 10 years in compensatory picks. So they've got that formula dialed, too. Like, they just have it dialed in terms of who they get, who they let go, how long they keep them, what they pay for them, how they move them, what they trade for them. It's just staggering and, and quite frankly, awe-inspiring to watch it's not to mention they have a coaching staff that gets the best out of these guys always you know, you know mike michael pierce who actually is a free agent which kind of explains a little bit you know because they they just needed bodies uh sure um, and you if you're yeah, gonna get bodies you might as well this. get good ones yeah. <laughs> i'm like they just needed bodies so they went gotten michael brockers <laughs> for for good money too like a good contract a healthy contract like, uh... But you yeah. know, if you if you're gonna replace Pierce, you might as well get somebody who's better. Uh, but you know, Warmly's yeah, but... still there as a rotational guy because you assume that Campbell's gonna be starting over Warmly. Mm-hmm. Um, Dalen Mack, they just drafted out of A and M last year, who's a really, a really, in my opinion. I, I mean, I I loved him at Texas A and M. I think he's gonna end up being a really good player. Uh, Ferguson, I thought was a, a good second round value. They got him in the third last year. Yep. Um, that's the I, thing. They always do that. Yeah. They will always come along. And I mean, you almost want to call it bottom feeding, but it's not, it's just opportunistic. It's the right time at the right level for excellent, excellent value. And it doesn't matter whether it's free agency or the draft or trades. They always seem to be able to pull the lever at the right time and get what other teams can't get. I mean, if, if your team, say Hayden Hurst was the third string tight end on the Texans, there's no way they're pulling a second. It's just, it's not happening. They're getting a fourth, but the Ravens dance in, drop him for a second. They've got two good starting tight ends. It's just, they always have what they need. It's, I would love to say it's maddening, but I, I just think it's fascinating and kind of um, really a prototypical model for how to operate in today's NFL. 
Yeah, and you just know they're going to go into the draft. They're going to get Khaled Kareem in, like, the fourth round. Stop it. <laughs> He's going to turn oh, into a pro bowler. Oh. You, oh. It's going to happen. Just That's an ugly it. swing, Brett. That's an ugly swing. It's, it's, uh, a, it's no, a Ravens yeah. thing to happen. No, Khalid Kareem is going to end up, let's be frank, as a Raven or Patriot. Because those are the two places uh, Patriots I would be most angry about because he would excel in their system. And quite frankly, that means as well, I guess you could say Detroit. I don't think he'll end up there. But, you know, Detroit is Patriots light, as is the Dolphins now. And Detroit's in the Bears division. So if Khalid Kareem ends up in Detroit system and, and goes on a rampage, I'll be probably the most angry. The Ravens, I'd just be like, oh, yeah. Nope, totally a typical Ravens move. I'd just move on. I just expect it now. That yeah, he came out the womb a Raven. That's that's just how it is. Kind of. Yep. Um, keeping in the AFC North, because uh, it's another spending spree. There's a few teams that went on him. Uh, uh, the the Cleveland trio of Hooper, Conklin, and Keenum. I'll just start with Conklin. Fourteen million a year hell of a value for a really good right tackle yeah i'm not sure what kind of magic dust they sprinkled on that conklin is worth well more than that um we'll talk about a guy we don't like very much or a deal we don't like that happened today uh, who got um you know slightly less than that but is much less of a player than conklin um i think between it's interesting between hooper conklin and keenum like hooper i think is an overpay Conklin, I think, is an underpay that we just talked about. And Keenum, I would say, is about right for average backup money and and a guy that can come in and win you some games. So I I think it all pencils. I think it comes out as sort of a a good, flat, solid day where they overpaid for a tight end, which, okay, fine. He is the top tight end, but tight end free agent deals lately have been a mine. I don't think it's an overpay for Hooper because Kittle's going to get $16, 17000000 a year. Uh, I don't think it's an overpay relative to the fact that he was a top tight end in free agency. And look, you overpay in free agency. That's what you do uh, because you didn't draft for that spot. So you have to overpay a little bit. Um, But if anything, I think they paid a little more for Hooper uh, than I think his value is. I think they paid less for Conklin than his value is. And I think they paid about right down the middle on what Keenum's value is. So again, it's a good day for them. They fill three of their spots and you know, it's uh, money wise. I think it all sort of comes out in the wash. I think, I think uh, you're right in that it all kind of evens out uh, for the Hooper overpay. I would say relative to what the tight end market was 24 hours ago. Yeah. It's a little excessive relative to the tight end market after Kittle and Mark Andrews signed their deals, man, he's going to be straight up cheap <laughs> compared to them. Yeah. Both and that's all. That's always the way it is, is whatever's big quarterback deal this year or two years ago that everybody thought was massive and crazy is a oh, pretty good value now. It's that's that's nutty, you know, and uh, that's just especially with the salary cap. Although the salary cap, we'll, we'll probably talk about that later with the new CBA. We haven't even really mentioned that there's labor piece for the next 10 years. Uh, that a new CBA got signed, but the salary cap went up significantly less than almost any projection I had seen, um, which is probably a little bit better for negotiators because there's not a you know 35% jump in the salary cap, which some people had predicted. Um, so it's a little bit easier for them to sort of pencil year over year and apple to apple increase. But um, 
Yeah, so those were the those are the big ones off the first day of free agency. Whew, that's a lot. That's enough. But um, to carry on with that, we're going to pick out one we like that maybe wasn't a, a headline signing uh, that we either like the fit of or we like the value of where they landed. Maybe it's a coach relationship. And then we're going to pick out one we – I said one we hate, but I think it's kind of one we more mildly dislike because it's tough to hate anything today because you don't know how it's really going to work come the season. But uh, who's the one you like um, maybe a little bit more or, or just paid a little bit more attention to than the average fan might? I mean, Christian Kirksey for six and a half million a year. I mean, he's already a better player than Blake Martinez, but you're getting him for six and a half million. I mean, that's yeah. just that's a steal. That's less than Kwiatkowski signed for going to the Raiders. Kwiatkowski's yeah. uh, a good player. Um who signed for less than Danny Trevathan got, which is odd because everybody said the whole reason that quit might leave is that he was going to get more uh, than Trevathan. Turns out Trevathan's going to make more per year uh, by a little bit than Kwiatkowski. But I'm with you, Kirksey. Um, that's a solid move for what was a very good defense last year. Um, uh, Green Bay has now decided to use free agency. They, they famously for years swore it off, especially the first wave of free agency. Uh, they've modernized their approach there, paid big dividends for them on the defensive side of the ball last year. And now they add Kirksey for what looks like a real value signing. Kirksey might not be a name that a lot of um, casual NFL fans are are committed, but uh, boy, yeah, Blake Martinez, um, I would love as a Bears fan for Blake Martinez to stay in the middle of the Packers defense for as long as possible. Um, but Kirksey keep definitely in mind, upgrade. like the, the thing with Martinez is his instincts were just terrible. Um, I, you don't have to tell me twice again, as a bears fan, I love him there. Just keep him there as long as you can. Kirksey, is he super fast and twitchy and, you know, does he have exceptional range? Like a lot of these modern day, um, great linebackers, you know, the Dion Joneses, the Isaiah Simmons that's coming in this year. Can he move like them? Hell no. That's why he only got six and a half million. But the dude's in the right spot a lot. Uh, and I think that's that's very valuable for a Green Bay defense that really a lot of their problems last year in run defense were just fit related. It wasn't yep. like their, their defensive line was doing their jobs. The linebackers were not getting into their fits, particularly Blake Martinez. Just Just get a guy with good instincts who could just be in the right spot. And the defensive line will take care of the rest. The DBs will take care of the rest. That's all you need is just get a linebacker that won't screw it up. And Kirksey for six and a half million is a tremendous deal because he won't screw it up. I, I love that fit for them. Yeah, I'm going to stick with linebackers. And I'm going to go with a guy that um, some folks uh, outside the NFC North may not have heard about. Steven Weatherly, guy that came out of Vanderbilt uh, a few years ago. I really liked him as a sort of uh, developmental edge with upside guy you could bring in is almost a third down specialist, really aggressive, pretty quick was stacked behind two other really quality edges in, in Minneapolis and didn't get a chance to shine and now gets a chance again. Uh, I think he signed for about the same. I think it's six and a half million, uh, per, uh, six, two, Weatherly. five. Yeah. So slightly less, uh, a couple hundred thousand less, but is going to get more, um, I don't want to say starting reps, but definitely more rotational reps might be a starter in that defense. And super excited to see what he can do. I like his potential. I really, I had him penciled in. Uh, we did a podcast that we released this morning 
uh, on Bears Over Beers, and I predicted he'd stay with Minnesota because he liked the fit. He liked Zimmer. Um, he liked what they were getting out of him, but clearly went out, tested the water. Somebody said, hey, we're going to give you a bigger slice of the pie in terms of playing time. He went on the first day. I think he's a guy that's developmental, and you might see come out and get that five, six, seven sacks next year for the Panthers, and that would be a good thing for the player, and obviously a good thing for the Panthers. That a, you know, you get seven sacks out of a guy that's, uh, you know, you're paying six and a quarter. Uh, we just talked about that ratio of sacks to millions, and and that's exceeding your ratio. And I think Weatherly is a guy that could do it. So I I really like that fit. Plus, he I think he has a little bit of versatility in terms of. He could play with his hand in the dirt or standing up. Um, and I think we know that, that Carolina kind of wants to, they don't want to just be a straight up four, three anymore. Um, you know, they, they, they'll probably run some four down stuff, but they, they want guys that are flexible to be able to, uh, to play as a stand up rusher, maybe drop a little bit here and there. If they want to go into some five, two looks, um, just kind of get a little bit more creative and not just run the straight four, three that they ran for a long time. Um, and yeah, I, I and think, they would I think rotate. That's the thing about Weatherly is occasionally in college, they would rotate him into the middle. They'd stand him up as a straight ILB, which was always staggering to me because he was 260 pounds or 265 or whatever, typically played with his hand in the dirt as a rusher. And then you'd get to a nickel down and you'd see that guy in the middle. And it was like, Whoa, wait, he, what he has that capability. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So that's why he was on my list in the first place the year he came out. Um, they didn't really plan like that, obviously, in uh, Minnesota because, look, they've, they've got some very good guys in the middle in Minnesota. Uh, but again, maybe we'll see some looks like that, like you said, like a 5-2 look um, where you could either run him as the wide guy, the wide nine, or as one of the two. Um, so that would be uh, – it'll be fascinating to see how they use him. I just really – I like it for him. Um, I didn't think it would happen, so I'm kind of excited that a player like that kind of gets released and maybe gets unlocked. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, because of that, that's that's the one I like a little bit more. Yeah. Also, remember, the Panthers are going to be a very blitz-heavy team next year, so using him as like just an ad rusher, like you said, when you line him up in the middle, because uh, Phil Snow is going to be running that defense who ran rules defense even going back to Temple, which I know you studied Yannick Agakwe very intensely when he was coming out. Uh, so you know that defense very intimately and all the crazy rushes they would throw at people. They're going to be doing that in Carolina. So having having a guy like Weatherly that you can put literally anywhere in the front, uh, immensely valuable. So I, I, yeah. I love that fit. Yeah, and Gakwe was a terp. But um, no, if you stack Weatherly over Burns. Um, Wait, he was at Maryland? I thought he went to Temple. Yeah, no, and Gakwe was a terp. Who am I thinking of? Because uh, I, I have vivid memories. You're thinking of, of um, the guy that went to Arizona, um, Hassan. Oh, uh, yeah. Reddick. Yeah, because I remember Hackenberg yeah. getting sacked by a two-man rush against Temple, and Reddick was the guy that did it. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, no, and Reddick is a similar player, so I can see confusing the two and, and same geographic area for sure. But if you take Weatherly and stack him over the side that they have Brian Burns on, like – Oh, yeah. Good, Good luck. Like, you better have some athletes out there blocking those two because uh, one big guy is not going to do it or a big guy and a, and a sort of classic inline tight end. Probably not going to win against those two, depending. And then maybe you throw a twist in and you get Burns on the far outside and Weatherly pushing inside with power because he's a, he's a pretty stout dude. You're going to have some fun combinations on that Panthers line. So I'm, I'm excited for what they're going to cook up. Um, what Matt Rule and his staff are going to cook up. I, I think it's a good, again, yeah, 
big potential lever boom signing, the kind of thing that Tampa Bay got out of Shaq Barrett, right, where they signed for basically no money as he came as a backup rusher, had been stuffed behind Von Miller and Chubb, and all of a sudden Barrett comes and drops 19 sacks. Now, is Weatherly going to drop 19 sacks? I don't think so. But again, if he drops seven or eight, it's a great value at $6 million per. Yeah, I mean, seven or eight sacks would be a great value at 11 per, so that's that's a hell right. of a deal. Um, I would say in terms of signings that maybe I'm not as keen on, again, not saying it's a bad signing, but just one that when you look at the values of like Weatherly, the Carolina or Kirksey to Green Bay, and then you look at what, what uh, the Jets just paid for, for Fant at 10 million a year. And you're like, man, that's how you, that's how you're spending your money is George Fant yeah. for 10 million a year when you're probably going to take a tackle anyway, who's better than him. <laughs> would start yeah. over him and like if he's a swing tackle okay uh if you're running a lot of like jumbo maybe but uh, i i don't i don't get it uh I, I again he has a role that role is not a 10 million dollar a year role to me especially if jack conklin's getting 14 and he's yeah. getting 10 no, it doesn't look good on paper. I saw this one, and again, I double-checked the blue check mark on Twitter to make sure whoever was reporting it wasn't just pulling my leg because, again, as a resident of the Pacific Northwest, uh, certainly familiar with what George Vance done with the Seahawks. Again, valuable role player and a guy that's developed uh, a long-shot guy, one of John Snyder's, you know, um, grab him low, uh, was a tight end, convert him, turn him into a tackle. Like, you know, great story. But is that thirty million over three years? Mm, even oh in my sort god! Of, Speaking of happened? thirty million over three years, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sorry for interrupting the show. No, but go ahead. I, I just got? I found your signing that you're gonna hate. Blake Martinez just got thirty million over three years from the New York Giants. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I don't hate that at all because that is the double whammy. Oh my God. Blake Martinez, who is a very average linebacker, eating up Dave Gettleman's chest of whatever. I love that in so many ways. What is Dave doing? Well, the same thing Dave always does. Now, we haven't had this podcast long enough for listeners to be familiar with the fact that I don't go after people in the NFL very hard because I don't think it's great business. And typically, you don't know, right? You want to see it play out. Like, George Fant could play at a starters level, and we could both look like idiots. I went after Nick Kwiatkowski hard at the beginning of last season, saying he gets exposed in pass coverage. Nick upped his game. He played very well in relief when Roquan was out. Um, and when Danny was out and I went on the pod midseason and said, Hey, mea culpa, I'm really sorry, Nick, you proved me wrong. Good on you. And he went and got his bag in Las Vegas. Right. But one of the guys I will go after consistently in the NFL because he's terrible is Dave Gettleman and Dave Gettleman has shown what I consider to be true negligence multiple times. And this is just another example did you see the other thing they did today we haven't even talked about it oh god which which thing oh bradbury for 15 
No, Bradbury for 15, I actually thought was pretty good for a Gettleman move. That's Ugh, I didn't like that move at all. I, I know you don't like that one, but I, I think Bradbury's the second tier starting corner in this behind Byron Jones, and that's what you're going to have to pay to get him, and you need a corner. I, I actually think Bradbury's a fine move. No, they tagged somebody today. Who did they tag? Go ahead, look it up. I, oh, I just want to hear this, this is, reaction oh, live on air. Go ahead. Jesus Christ, Dave, what'd you do now? Yeah. I just can't wait. I want video. I really do. I just want the live shot of your face. When oh you see this. no! <laughs> yes, they did. How much is that tag for? It's a defensive lineman. It's a lot. It's sixteen point one. Yeah, oh! defensive linemen are not cheap. So go ahead, tell the listeners who did Dave Gettleman tag today? Leonard Williams. That's right. For and then he went million. and paid Blake Martinez ten. They don't have any money. I Dave is Dave, and Dave they have will Dave they have until... no money. I really feel for all my Giants friends, uh, Giants fan friends. Um, Gettleman is completely driving that franchise nose first into the dirt. He is massacring what is what has been a very proud legacy, a Super Bowl winning franchise. You got Parcells, uh, you know, Eli winning two, all that stuff, even in fairly recent history. Dave Gettleman is driving the wheels off that thing. He is grinding the gears into dust and ramming that thing into a pole like over and over and over again and five years from now people will be like why did we let him do it and he just keeps doing it and then he is completely unrepentant comes out at press conferences and says all of you out in the audience you have no idea what i'm doing you suck i know what i'm doing don't question me and everybody looks at his moves and goes but dave like nobody else is doing that that seems really stupid and he is completely obstreperous about that like gettleman is the new ryan grigson he is terrible leonard williams got half a sack in 12 starts last season leonard williams who was a draft favorite of mine when he went to the jets i loved him at usc i loved him at usc the bears missed out on him by one spot the year after they missed out on aaron donald by one spot and i was crushed both years um you know that one hasn't aaron donald obviously has proven that I was correct about that. Leonard Williams has not necessarily proven me correct, let's be honest. But to go and franchise that guy after you basically rented him for half a season for what you traded for him, and now to double down and franchise that guy, nobody's going to trade for him. He's not a sign and uh, a tag and trade candidate. Um, and then to drop 10 freaking million dollars on Blake Martinez, who is a very limited player when, uh, you know, you've got a, uh, so anyways George Fant is the one you don't like the one I don't like and this plays very well into the conversation we're currently having is and this is going to hurt even worse with the Blake Martinez news Corey Littleton is sitting out there he's a free agent right and Corey a Littleton great free fans. agent and a great free agent like I think the top inside linebacker candidate available is Corey Littleton, right? He's a do-it-all linebacker. He's fast enough for the NFL. He's big. He loves contact. He's smart. His run fits are good. Um, he's been a bit overshadowed in the L.A. defense, so he might come at a, a slightly lower premium. I bet he ain't going to make $10 million a year. And how would Corey Littleton look in the middle of the Giants' defense and replacing a guy like Alec Ogletree, who they let go? 
Um, Littleton is basically a better version of Ogletree. He's the reason that Ogletree basically left or was available for trade out of the Rams is that Littleton was playing better than him. Uh, and that guy's available on day one of free agency. And he's got, I mean, I'm sure his agent's getting calls and whatever else, but he, that guy's a splash first day signing for me. Although he doesn't have name recognition, he is a definitely a first day free agent type player. And I guarantee, well, I don't guarantee after this, but um, <laughs> I would imagine he signs for a, at least a little less than $10 million a year. I mean, Quit got seven. Uh, look at some of the other linebackers. Danny signed for eight. Um, I think Littleton comes for nine, nine and a half, maybe 10, but I would be okay with paying Littleton 10. Playing Blake Martinez 10 is just pure negligence. So. Littleton is my like move I don't like so much is that nobody signed him on the first day when I think he's clearly one of the best inside linebackers available uh, in this year's free agency. 100% agreed on Littleton. Two more deals were signed while we were talking. Not uh, surprising. It, it, these were about an hour ago, but I want to get your thoughts on them. Mm -hmm. uh, Kendall Fuller is going back to the Redskins. Oh, that's a weird fit. Four years. 10 a year. So four okay. years, four I mean, he's a very, we talked about him on bears over beers on the pod that released this morning, um, just because of his relationship to Kyle. And wouldn't it be cool if he ended up in Chicago? But I said, look, he's a very good nickel. He's a top third nickel in the league. Um, that's a desired position. It's a starter, uh, because nickel is the new base. He was going to be too rich for the bears anyways. So it was just kind of a nice to have sort of a thing, but I'd say 10 a year seems pretty reasonable for where he's at. He's a younger guy. He's got some good experience. He's been in two good systems now. Well, one good system. <laughs> now he goes back to the Redskins. Um, I, I'm I'm cool with that. It just seems an odd fit to me that he would return to the franchise. Maybe he really believes in Rivera. Um, I think I think coach. it is the Rivera factor. I, it has he, to be because there's popular. nothing else that's attractive about that. No, and I, I think Dan Snyder liked him too. Um, well, yeah, but is that <laughs> that's like having a creepy teacher who really thinks you're cool. Hey, you know how Dan Snyder treats his favorites. And I, I, I do, <laughs> but it's, yeah, I would say it has to be the Rivera thing, but I'm, I'm okay with that from a money standpoint. Yeah. It's, um, it's a, a good standpoint. It's a good deal it's, money wise. It's a plus for their secondary. Like I, I'm, I'm pretty cool with that. What's the other one? I'm going to file this one under whatever. Uh, Randall, <laughs> Randall Cobb, three years, 27, nine per to Houston. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, okay. Like, isn't that what they use Will Fuller for? But all right. I mean, Will Fuller, I mean, it seems Will like Fuller for six games a year. Well, sure. And Randall Cobb for the other six. And then what are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, it's Kenny Stills and Randall Cobb. Nah, and... I, I know. But uh, no, I'm just glad that Cobb didn't end up as the quote unquote speed threat uh, to Chicago. I'd heard some kind of far-fetched whispers about that and i was dreading it so i'm sorry i don't, I don't mind him in the slot yeah I, again i think it's one of those guys that his race is largely run he's going to be good for a year or two as a supporting cast member so i think he can do that but um yeah i think you're right kind of file it under whatever it's not like it's huge money and uh he can be productive he's you know obviously a very good player in his time in green bay um you know, what's left is the question. And for that compensation, if you get something out of them, sure. Seems, seems I mean, reasonable in the grand scheme of things like nine, isn't 
a huge number nope, per year. So like, it's not a backbreaker. No, I mean Amari just got twenty. So yeah. It's... So, but is he a difference maker still? And at this point mm-hmm. in his career, probably no. not. Is he fine when Will Fuller inevitably gets hurt again? And Will Fuller is a difference maker, but again, he's not going to be on the field for every single game. Is Cobb fine to fill in? Probably, but he's he's not nearly going to be like. I'll, I'll put it this way: they still got to draft some dudes, at least two of them. Whether it's Mims, whether it's KJ Hamler, whatever, they they still got to draft guys. Putting Randall Cobb on your roster does not mean that you don't need a draft receiver anymore. He's he's your wide receiver four is what he is, and he's yeah, a good, he's, he's a, he's a good he's one. That. But that's what he and is. a mentor, you know. Yeah, he's, he's a, a guy veteran. That, he's, he's a, a pro. He understands the game. He understands coverage. He understands leverage. He's going to help those guys develop. I think you're right. It doesn't um, preempt them from drafting a wide receiver and shouldn't in a loaded wide receiver draft class. But is he somebody you're going to stand up and say, this guy's in the way of our high round draft pick? No. No. But it's fine. There's there's worse deals for wide receiver fours. So. Yep. I agree. Uh, there's probably going to be more deals after we, re- we finish recording, but we've been going for uh, I don't know, a long time now, damn near an hour and a half. So I think we'll wrap it up there, but uh, I, I really appreciate everybody uh, tuning in, listening to what is probably the first of a couple free agency shows we have, because this is only the first day. A lot more deals to come, especially, as you mentioned, Corey Littleton. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to ask, how's that glass treating you? Uh, it's good. It's almost gone. I poured, oh, probably a couple, well, nope, sorry, it is gone. Um <laughs> Poured probably a couple fingers over ice in a in a smaller glass, but again, I haven't had Glenn Levitt. Uh, certainly don't remember having the twelve anytime soon. It's double oaked and uh, a little bit smoother, a little less smoky uh, than many of the scotches you mentioned. And me being more of a sort of whiskey and bourbon guy than a scotch guy, I think it went down quite nicely. Yeah, this uh, this Michter's American is really good. It's got a little bit more barrel spice than I expected. Um, not like a rye kind of spice, but on the back end, on the back of your tongue, you, you definitely feel it almost like, a, and it's not even like a baking spice either. There's just kind of like that, that, that tingle that you get from a, man, I don't even know how to describe it. It almost kind of tastes a little bit like Angel's Envy, uh, where, you know, where you really feel it on the back of the tongue. It doesn't quite go down, you know, like a Woodford double oaked where it's just like, bourbon flavor <laughs> water you know <laughs> where i could yeah. i could absolutely get destroyed on woodford because it go down so easy it's not like that um yeah. but I, I i like it it's got it's got just enough bite to kind of give it some character but it doesn't like blow your face off so yeah. uh the other thing i really like about approval. oh good uh the other thing i like about having this uh glenn levitt 12 here is when you uh eventually come by and we record podcasts here i'll have something for you to drink Exactly. I mean, you know, I love my scotches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, again, thank you to everybody for listening. We're going to get out of here. It's like 945 at night. I'm dog tired. I got to get up at 4 a.m. to edit uh, another film room. This one's coming on Joe Burrow some point later this week. Uh, no idea when that's going to be, but it's going to be at some point this week. Uh, EJ, I know, is going to be really hammering home his Bears free agency takes. Look for those on uh, Windy City Gridiron, and of course the wonderful Bears Over Beers podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. Hope you join us for that one, and until then, later. Later.